The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. Importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo and help your organization move forward in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, a new era. What does she mean by that? Let's get started. MIT researchers, we know if it comes from MIT, it has to be important and it has to be good. MIT researchers say the invention of the steam engine launched the most transformative era of social development in the last 3,000 years. That's a lot. That's a big statement. I don't think anybody here can understand what it was like, but we've seen the results of it over these years. Now, what has technology done for us lately in our tech era? Well, we're going to fast forward from the steam engine 300 years, and we believe we are now on the verge of an even greater paradigm shift. That's right. More complex than a revved up steam engine, we are seeing the convergence of technologies. And it's not just individual technologies. They are being fueled by innovation accelerators, including, well, think about it. We have renewable energy. You know we have robotics all over the place. We've got cognitive computing, and ta-da, we have the Internet of Things. We even have a radio show called the Internet of Things with Game Changers presented by SAP. The big question on the table is, we're here on the Business Channel talking to an audience all over the world. Is your organization ready? You can't just survive anymore. You have to thrive. Do you have the digital DNA to make it and take it and get going and do what your company is designed to do. We have a panel of experts who are going to help us figure it all out. I'm thrilled to welcome our first panelist. It's Frank Diana. He's a principal in business evolution at Tata Consultancy Services. That's TCS to those of you in the know. And Frank has sent me a wonderful quote from Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein would be happy to know that he's a regular guest on SAP Game Changers Radio. Here's the quote. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Well, that seems obvious. Frank, Diana, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks for joining me. So talk to me. Interesting quote from Einstein. Why don't you relate it to our topic of this new era with all of this tech fueling? What's going on? Well, it's a quote I use a lot in, in my presentations. Um, and it comes from the fact that I believe most leaders are still driven by status quo thinking. They're kind of beholden to the institutions of our past whether it's government, education, health care, or the things that we institutionalize within business. Um, and our current thinking is just not going to get us to, to uh, address the uh, transformative period that's coming. So I use it a lot. Uh, I think we think that the truths of our past are unimpeachable, and so we're kind of stuck with an Industrial Revolution era kind of thinking. And I really believe that our past truths are not going to serve us well in the future. So I, I, I really think it's a great quote. 
It is a great quote. And, and uh, Frank, to the point of this steam engine, we just take for granted that what we have that keeps us going, our cities, our countries, our world, it's all just here. It's part of the infrastructure in the fabric. So when we say that that was the last great transformative era, that seems like a long time ago for anything major to happen that we had to wait 300 years. Any take on that, Frank? Well, I'd, I'd say it's not so much that it was so long ago, because if you think about the early 1900s, we had another sort of second revolution as the car and the phone and oil really took off. So I'd say it goes back a little shorter than that, um, but I don't think we've seen anything since then, and I don't think we've seen anything like what's coming. Thank you very much. Good. Everybody is on the edge of their seats waiting to hear more. Thank you, Frank Diana. Joining us on the panel today also is Thornton May. He's a futurist, an educator, and author. And Thornton sent me the following quote from the editors of New Scientist magazine dating back to the February 18th, 2012 issue. Those of you who collect them and want to look this up online, here's the quote. When it's steam engine time, people will invent steam engines. Major innovations occur not when an inventor is struck by a bolt from the blue, but when the scientific and social conditions are ripe. Well, that's a telling quote. Welcome, Thornton May. How are you today? Great to be here. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you. Talk to me about this quote. And what is New Scientist Magazine? Is that something near and dear to you? Oh, it's great. If you're a futurist or a future-focused executive, you should definitely look at it. It's a very, it blends the best of science and technology, and, it, and it's relevant for the modern world. So it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's, it's an edgy, uh, high-intellect, high-impact type of uh, source of uh, content, if you will. But the, the, the quote, what I'm talking about is that the first rule of holes is basically when you're in a hole, stop digging. And we are in a digital hole. And that quote talks about the fact that when the conditions are ripe, well, the conditions are ripe for digital. But I don't think we're ready. In fact, 90% of us aren't ready. So basically another wonderful quote from history, if you will, antiquity, the Romans, is that when riding a dead horse, dismount. <laughs> so, so, so we are really, and I, 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 I'm piggybacking exactly on what Frank was talking about, is, is we are. We have an industrial age mentality, and we have to abandon that, jettison that. It's obsolete, and we have to really uh, change our thinking, if you will. And uh, and that's what that's what that's why I'm so excited about the show today. Well, I'm glad you're excited. I am too. And I have a question for you, Thornton. You said we have to change our way of thinking. Who is we? Are we talking about what we used to call captains of industry? Are we talking about the millennial generation coming in and inheriting all of these different revolutions? And that's part of how we got to where we are today. That is how we got here. Who has to do the changing? Who is the we? Well, that's a great question. And I think in this new world, I mean, the day of the the, the single hero, the single inventor is over. It is, we are now, we are, we, the thing that, the reason humans are at the top of the food chain is because we are a social animal. So we is the collective. We being the entrepreneurial team. We being the people in the IT organization. We being Joe and Jane Sixpack. Everybody has a responsibility for being digital. I like that. Thank you very much. And some are more ready than others, and that's why we're here, to help everybody get ready. Thank you, Thornton. Rounding out the panel is a return guest to Game Changers Radio. It's Timo Elliott. He's Senior Director and Global Innovation Evangelist for SAP. And Timo is in Paris today, and he, lucky Timo, and he has sent me a quote from Stephen Kotler. Those of you not familiar, Stephen Kotler is an American best-selling author, journalist, and entrepreneur. Uh, he has had articles in over 70 publications. 
publications, you name it, he's been in it. And he's best known for his nonfiction, including the New York Times bestseller Abundance, A Small Furry Prayer, and West of Jesus. Very interesting. Here's the quote from Stephen Kotler. For the first time in history, the world's leading experts on accelerating technology are consistently finding themselves too conservative in their predictions. This is more than a little peculiar. Interesting quote. Welcome back, Timo Elliott. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. What time is it there, by the way, in Paris? It is 4 o'clock in the afternoon here. Okay, you must be getting ready for getting ready for something after after work. We'll talk to you in the coffee break segment. So, Timo, this quote from Stephen Kotler, uh, how does it apply to what is this? They're conservative in their predictions. Uh, that's, it does seem peculiar. Talk to me. Well, like most people, I grew up reading a lot of science fiction. And uh, this quote came from an article that Stephen wrote just a couple of weeks ago called The Acceleration of Acceleration, How the Future is Arriving Far Faster Than Expected. And I, like most people, have pretty much grown up expecting things faster than they actually arrived. So, you know, we've been talking about these fantastic robots or fantastic technologies for a long, long time. And then we kind of get a a little bit disabused. We wait too long and, you know, all our hopes don't pan out. Now, for the first time, maybe in history, things are starting to go the other way around. Things like uh, self-driving cars are appearing in reality much faster than we ever realized. And uh, that's going to require some big changes about how we think about running our organizations. Very interesting. It sounds like the way we run our lives as well, which is related to what the organizations are doing. Good. Do you, do you agree with uh, Thornton, by the way, Timo, about the collective we is the we that has to do the changing and understand where we're going? Absolutely. The, the interesting thing for me is that technology change has never been about technology, but that's really truer than ever. In some ways, the technology is now the easy part. The hard part is actually knowing what to do with it. And as I work with organizations, the biggest thing they are struggling with is that the possibilities seem so endless that they don't even know where to get started. Yep, that, that's a great point, and I think we'll be coming back to that later. Guess what? It's time for me to ask my three panelists what they're drinking, because as everybody who's been listening to Game Changers Radio for, well, it's over three years now, knows on all of our shows, regardless of the theme of the series, I ask my guests, what are you drinking? What's in your cup today? Or what are you drinking after the show? And that's because all of our shows come down from the flagship series, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So, Mr. Frank, Diana, I'll ask you, where are you calling from? What time of the day is it? Is there something fascinating in your cup today? Or what are you drinking after the show? Go ahead, Frank. Okay, I'm calling from New Jersey. It's almost 10.15. And let's see if this is a new one for you. I'm drinking a smoothie with protein powder. So I, am- I need... Yeah, I need to know the flavor. What the flavor of the smoothie? Well, it's chocolate, of course. Oh, I knew I, I knew I liked you. I knew I liked you. Are we talking milk chocolate flavor, dark chocolate bitter, ninety uh, percent cacao? Give me a little more color here. Oh, it's dark chocolate for sure. <laughs> oh, I knew I liked you. Okay. <laughs> and the protein and any- powder is the important thing there. I'm somewhat of a weightlifting nut, and if you. Uh, I think my colleagues are listening. I used to uh, fly back and forth to Atlanta uh, when I was part of a startup there. And uh, although my colleagues wanted to go to the executive lounge to have a glass of wine, I always wanted to stay near the gate so I can get my smoothie. Oh, and tell me something. Chocolate needs a little bit of sweetener. What's in the sweetener? Is it something in the protein powder, or do you add something to just perk it up a little? No, no, no sweetener, just uh, the protein powder, some chocolate. It's kind of crazy because I throw some strawberries in there as well. 
Now it's getting interesting. Thank you, Frank. I knew if I kept you talking long enough, we'd get the recipe. Frank <laughs> Diana's secret recipe, everyone. You heard it here on Digital World with Game Changers. Thank you for the secret. Thornton May, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking? All right. I'm calling from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I am virtually drinking hemlock a la Socrates. <laughs> and the reason being is that if you are in the game of affecting uh, basically transformational change, you basically you basically have to be willing to talk truth to power. And if you're going to talk truth to power, you're basically, it's semi-suicidal, which is, and so Socrates spoke truth to his his, uh, interlocutors at his trial, and they killed him. So basically, if you really are an agent of change, you have to, you you really do have to draw the line and say, I'm I'm willing to risk all, and basically say, this is truth, and we do have to change, because it is uncomfortable for people. It is uncomfortable. And by the way, I'm uncomfortable because I want to know what you're really drinking before you take the hemlock. I want to know if there's something interesting in the cup or will be after the show. Well, Come on, I, Thornton. I, I do have, I do, well, I, I have the virtual cup. I have the picture uh, by John mm-hmm. Louis David of basically Socrates having the cup, all right? So I, I pay homage to the, to, the, to the bravery of people who try and change things and talk truth to power. But of course, next to that, I have caffeine because it is, you can't, uh-huh. you need energy to, to perpetuate this type of change activity. I appreciate that. And what flavor is the caffeine? Is it coffee? Is it some kind oh, of coffee. soda? What is it? It's, it's coffee. It's 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 it's, it's Folgers because I'm I'm with my dad and he's a traditionalist. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm looking back to the quote of uh, Timo's quote about um, yes, the world's leading experts on accelerating technology are finding themselves too conservative. Okay, that's good to know. Timo Elliott, you're in Paris. It is in the late afternoon. What are you drinking? Or in about an hour, it'll be time for something else you want to tell us what you're planning to have after the show timo yeah so for right now i have a big theme of this year is simplicity and it doesn't get much simpler than nothing i'll be doing this radio (laughs) show dry unlike the conversation i hope i hope so but after the show where are you headed after the show, well, I'm in France, of course, with the best uh, best red wines in the world so i will probably have a nice glass of red wine Good, good. Thank you. Does it have a particular name or a label? We People want to know what Timo Elliott likes to drink. Well, they really do. We're having for dinner tonight yet. I couldn't possibly choose the wine before the meal. <laughs> Thank you very much. I have learned my lesson, and guess what? I'm going to give my three panelists a 90-second break to collect their thoughts. You're listening to our show today, Digital World with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. Our topic, in case you haven't guessed, is the new paradigm shift and your digital DNA. It's a huge topic, and that's why we've invited three experts who are passionate about this. We're speaking today with Frank Diana at TCS, Thornton May, we'll just call him a futurist with a little side cup of hemlock, and Timo Elliott at SAP currently in Paris. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, delighted to be here. When we come back, Frank Diana is going to do the honors and kick off the roundtable. We'll be talking about well, what is this transformative era? What is the digital DNA your company needs? And what is it going to take to survive and, more importantly, to thrive? So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back with the roundtable. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and extensive business networks and complex supply chains. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Digital World with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital World with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're talking today about the next paradigm shift in your digital DNA, how appropriate for a series called Digital World with Game Changers. I'm looking at Twitter right now, and I see that Brad Borkin from SAP, who is one of the sponsors of this series, tweeting at B-B-O-R-K-A-N, is tweeting, he says, the future of technology is not about technology. Tune in to SAP Radio to learn more with a short link to our show. And we've got tweets from TCS underscore SAP. That's the TCS SAP Alliance. And Frank Diana is tweeting as well, multitasking. I like that. So, Frank Diana, speaking of you, let's get started with our roundtable. I'm looking at the notes you sent me before the show. You organized everything into nice, neat, neat little piles for me to follow here. And I think it's time for us to start at the very beginning. You're talking about perspective. So I'll just read a couple notes here. You say the next 20 to 40 years will ultimately be viewed as the most transformative period in history. It will be ushered in by a convergence of forces. I'm going to let you explain. That. Go ahead, Frank. Uh, sure, thanks. Um, I, I firmly believe that, and interestingly, as I discuss this with leaders everywhere, I, I, the skepticism. So it's an important point in terms of creating that perspective to get folks to understand the urgency of the period we're entering. So this notion that exponential progression has moved just beyond technology to innovation, right? We're seeing innovation explode exponentially, not just the foundation of technology. And the combinations of innovations that can rapidly be pulled together to create value, that's exploding. And that's just going to accelerate over the next several years. So as this platform, if you will, expands from the basic IT technology platform to what could be ultimately a general purpose technology platform, it creates that foundation for this transformative period. And so all those things, the advances in science, nanotechnology, all these things that are coming together eventually are ultimately the artificial superintelligence that many are working on. I mean, all those factors, if you, if you really holistically and objectively look at all that, it's hard not to conclude that we're entering this most transformative period in history. Thank you. Thornton May, chime in, please. Oh, I, I, I totally agree with the Frank, and not only do I agree, but all the experts, the, the professional futuring tribe, and there actually is a group, there are futuring bars where we actually do use, uh, we, uh, we, 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 drink, uh, we, we don't drink hemlock, we actually drink wine, and, uh, but uh, I, I'd like to refer the audience to basically a fellow by the name of Matthew Burroughs, and Matthew Burroughs used to be very prominent, the head analyst at the National Intelligence Council, and he wrote a great book called The Future Declassified, and his comment 
exactly echoes what Frank just said. And here's, the, here's his quote. Never has humankind stood at the threshold of so much technology, uh, technological change. Basically, the ground is moving under our feet. And so this, mm-hmm. is, this is the most transformative time ever. But the interesting thing is, every day in the future will be the most transformative time. And this picks up on Timo's wonderful comment of basically acceleration is accelerating. The, cha- the pace of change is changing. Thank you, Thornton. And, and before, go ahead, Timo, please. Yes. This is Timo. Let me pick up on that skepticism comment. I, mm-hmm. I completely agree. I mean, there's been an explosion in new technology, uh, social, cloud, analytics, and mobile. And I think a lot of people think about those technologies by their acronym, which is, of course, SCAN. <laughs> but it's not a scam. It's actually a massive opportunity to do business in new ways. Uh, Gartner <laughs> calls it the nexus of forces. Forrester calls it the third platform. So these are analyst groups that work with organizations on innovation. Um, And it really is just a a new way of rethinking the way you do business. And I think the problem people have is that they tend to think in silos they're used to. And it's really about using all of these technologies in new ways. Timo, I want to jump in here. This is Bonnie with a comment from Thornton May's notes that I think is very apropos to where we are in our perspective part of the roundtable. Thornton, you told me, you said, what is surprising to this future is to you is that even with 600 years of transforming, and you put that in quotes under our belts, most executives feel like this is their first transformation, or we might say their first rodeo. Why do you say this, Thornton? I think this would be good good fodder for the three of you to talk about. Oh, well, well, one of the things is, Everybody, we have this, this feeling of uniqueness, and yet to study history, I mean, these transformations are, are very lesson-rich, and, and no one takes the time. And they, they, they think what we need to do is have executives, like the, 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 the captains that you talked about. We need them to make new mistakes versus the same old mistake over and over and over again. And that's why I think that sometimes they need to reach out to people who have the opportunity, who are not caught in that whack-a-mole tragedy of like contemporary executive existence, and actually think, step back and reflect about, all right, what can we do to avoid hitting these walls that we know are coming? Okay. Timo, any thoughts on, on uh, whether executives are really at that brink of something brand new or how do they learn to cope with it? Well, I think it's fascinating because, yes, absolutely, we're on the brink of something brand new in terms of possibilities. But when you look at what we can really do with these technologies and do things in new ways, we're actually going back to basics. So Mm -hmm. it's about, you know, getting closer to customers, um, making better use of resources in real time, uh, making sure that our employees are empowered and inspired. And so it's, it's about going back to the core things we've always tried to do as a business, but rethinking them in new ways. We've done a lot of work with um, design thinking workshops to try and shake people's ideas up of what it means to provide their service to customers, for example. Timo, who is ready for this? We talk about design thinking, shaking things up. Is this top leadership? And we'll get into a discussion a little bit about the difference between leadership and management from Thornton's notes. But uh, who, who is who is going to lead the charge of thinking differently, thinking outside whatever the proverbial box is, whatever shape it is today? Any thoughts on that, Timo? Yeah, absolutely. So, so first of all, it's key that it has to be some person or team that cuts across traditional organizational silos. The really interesting innovations 
it's almost impossible to do them with any of the existing groups inside organizations. Thankfully, most organizations have actually started up setting up uh, innovation teams whose job it is to keep track of what's happening in terms of the technology and then trying to map it to the business needs in the future. Frank, Diana, join us. A lot of thoughts since you started this thread. What do you think? I, I, I think the term transformation, we do a disservice to ourselves using that term because it's got a certain connotation mm. to it. Um, you know, I don't think anybody has been through the kind of transformation that's required for the future period. So I don't think we can leverage past experiences in, in that way. And the reason I say that is going back to what I said with my quote. Some of the institutions that really existed since the first Industrial Revolution and haven't changed since will have to change. We can look at examples like Uber, for example, and what it's doing to you know, policies in place in various states. If we look at the autonomous vehicle and what it has to, the changes, regulations that have to change, these are all institutions that have to fundamentally change completely. And I don't think we have that set of experiences. Transformation to us is an ERP system or changing out certain processes or reengineering, those kinds of things. I don't think that's what we're talking about in the next 10 to 20 years. Thornton May, comments on what uh, Frank just added? Well, I, 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 I agree, and uh, I, think, I think the issue really is ultimately the leaders have got to embrace basically fundamental change, daily change, basically, you know, like outside your comfort zone change. And what is truly broken is, is enterprise or corporate governance. If you want to look at basically a picture of the past, all you have to do is look at the boards of directors of the vast majority of the Fortune 500. I mean, that is, that is, that is a tragedy. It is systemically poorly set up. Those people, those are celebrants of basically the old way of doing things. And, I, and so, I, so I actually, I actually delight in the fact that we're going to have these vulture capitalists, these, uh, these, these Carl Icahn people coming in and fundamentally shaking them up. Because if you do not embrace change, if you basically do not cannibalize your existing uh, core businesses, you are not going to be in the Fortune 500 for long. Interesting. Let's talk about the idea of a mature industry, mature managers, mature companies. Uh, Thornton, I'm looking at your notes. I think this is a, a good segue for us at this point. You say, in times of transformation, never, ever believe you are in a mature industry. There are no mature industries, only mature managers who unthinkingly accept someone else's definition of what is possible. I think we need to crochet this on a pillow or write it on the side of a wall. Thornton, sounds like words of wisdom. Talk to us about this, please. Well, actually, that that that, what, what, that 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 whole concept, that whole theme, if you will, emanated from my fraternity brother at Dartmouth College, who's the CEO at General Electric, Jeff Immelt. And so those people, they actually, they said you cannot think of yourself as an industrial company. And he, Jeff has this brilliant quote that basically says, you know, I went to bed basically thinking I was an industrial conglomerate, and I woke up becoming a big data analytics and software company. And the neat thing is, is that they had the courage. They had that hemlock close to them, right? They had the courage mm -hmm. to basically make very large, I mean, we're talking three-comma, multi-billion-dollar investments in new revenue streams. That's the type of, if you will, like, if, you know, future-focused and courageous behavior that we've got to celebrate as we move forward with this paradigm shift. Courageous behavior and future focus, some more words to the wise. Uh, Timo Elliott, thoughts on what Thorne just added? I think you'll find that interesting. Well, I'm going to be a devil's advocate on the notion of change. I think the watershed moment for most, uh, for the industry in general, is the publication of the innovator's dilemma. I think since that point, people realized that 
the ability to change has to be a core competency of their organization. Mm -hmm. Now, it's really hard. I would argue that everybody knows how to do it very well, but at least everybody realizes that they do need to be able to change. Um, I think the big thing that is changing is that every business is becoming a digital business, a a data-driven business. It doesn't matter if you're in agriculture or space rockets. Uh, Ultimately, it's about optimizing the use of information in your organization. And um, that's requiring some big changes. I, I find increasingly that the companies I talk to all resemble each other, no matter what industry they're in. They're all having the same sorts of challenges. Okay. I'm thinking, Timo, I'm thinking of, um, I think it was a line from one of the songs in the musical, The Sound of Music, which is now celebrating 50 years since Julie Andrews, uh, there are specials and comments on TV all the time this week about the 50th anniversary. And I'm thinking of a phrase from one of the songs. Uh, I think it might have been Do Re Mi, Let's Start at the Very Beginning. And Timo Elliott, I'm looking at one of your notes here, and you say, one of the biggest things organizations today are struggling with is that the possibilities seem so endless that they don't know where to get started. So, Thibaut, can you lead us through a discussion of where do they get started? How do they start at the very beginning if they don't know where the change is coming and where the beginning of it is? Thoughts? Well, one of the wonderful things I find about these new technologies is that the more advanced the technology gets, the more important people skills get. Um, The analogy that I sometimes use is 20 or 30 years ago, If you wanted to make a great uh, special effects movie, you had to be one of the top directors because it was incredibly expensive to use. Mm -hmm. It was only available to make things like Star Wars. Now, special effects are available on any PC. You can do fantastic things with the technology, but that doesn't make everybody you know, the, the, the top director in the industry. It, it really just makes sure that the differentiating element is the creativity and the ability to use that technology in new ways. So, again, what we've been working with is um, just trying to work with people on creativity. What is it that is now possible that was never possible before and how can you work with your customers to start experimenting, trying things out? I think the big takeaway for me is that nobody knows what this fantastic new future looks like, but we all know it requires vast amounts of rapid, agile change. And so our businesses need to be a platform for that change. Rather than really optimizing what we're doing today, we need to optimize for change. And a big part of that is simplifying a lot of what we're doing so that we can be more flexible and adapt to these rapid changes in the future. Hi, this is Thornton, and I agree with you. Yes. And, and, but the part you talked about, we have to optimize for change, and yet we have an entire infrastructure. That would be called the global uh, business school. Basically, those people basically teach you how not to change. Basically, there's, mm-hmm. there's, it's a 116-year-old curriculum, and they teach you how to optimize the existing status quo. They don't teach you how to change. Basically, we're, we're in a world with a perpetual startups, and yet we have a cadre. We have a DNA that says, this is how you manage. This is not how you change. And that's one of the things that we fundamentally have to change, if you will, is that we all have to become startup people. Hey, so, Thornton, how do you- and yeah, go ahead, Frank. If I could please. just jump in real quick. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I go sure. back to the notion of institutions, right? Uh, Thornton's uh, right on in terms of our current institutions really set up for a different era, if you will. And this underscores the notion that we talked about earlier, digital DNA, 
uh, is you're never going to be able to predict the future at the pace that the world is moving in and will continue to move in. So all we can do as businesses is create the kind of environment, the kind of DNA that will enable us to succeed and remain viable in that future, the kinds of characteristics that are things like relationship-based organizations, flat, lean, and simple, emergent and resilient, effective and efficient, insight and foresight-driven. These are all kinds of characteristics that I think represent that digital DNA fabric of the future, if you will. Thank you, Frank. Uh, let's talk about corporate culture. Uh, Timo, I'm looking at some more of your notes, and, and this may be a kickoff for us. You say, we found the easiest and most immediate opportunities for this uh, transformational change are in four areas. One, get closer to your customers. Two, empower and inspire your employees. There's corporate culture for you. Three, optimize resource use in real time. There's a challenge for a lot of companies. And four, take full advantage of the new networked economy. That's a lot of things to talk about. Timo, can you Get us started or pick one of the four and expand it, please. Well, if I had to pick just one, then obviously getting closer to customers. All of these new technologies really allow us to interact with our customers in brand new ways. And a lot of it is, again, not about technology, but we're seeing that organizations are really turning around their business models by using some of these new opportunities. A classic example is around the, uh, the idea of the sensors or the Internet of Things. And we've been working with a lot of organizations that have gone from selling an actual product. Um, I'm thinking of a company like uh, Kaiser Compressors. They sell uh, machines that compress air. And, it, you know, it's a nice business. They have uh, customers in 100 com- countries around the world. But what they did is they wired the machines and that helped them with things like predictive maintenance. All of these machines are used to, uh, in you know, in manufacturing. It's very important if the system goes down and it stops the manufacturing. So they um, filled them for the sensors, used that data to predict when the machines would break down, fix them before they break down. So that was a, a useful service for their customers. But then they realized they could take it to the next level. And rather than selling the machines, they can now sell the compressed air as a service. So there's a change in business model. They can maintain the machines cheaper that way because they're constantly connected, and it provides lots of new opportunities to provide to new customer niches that they couldn't have done before. So they're on a very interesting journey because of these new technologies. Interesting, and a lot of innovative thoughts that go into that. Frank Diana, thoughts on the example Timo just gave and, and on the list I read before. Anything come to mind? Yeah, in terms of customers, getting closer to customers, I would say getting closer to any any shareholder within an ecosystem is critical. And I really like the way Jeffrey Moore looks at this. Jeffrey Moore has talked about systems of engagement really being a critical next IT journey, if you will. And those systems of engagement enable us to interact at the edge of our business, whether it's with a partner, whether it's with our employees or customers. In effect, engagement collaboration and relationships are critical to the future and those systems of engagement are critical to that future. The trick being how do systems of engagement effectively interact with our core systems of record in a way that doesn't slow down the system of engagement. Thank you. Thornton May, I know you have something to say uh, on well, this. I think, have to, I think we have to unpack this idea of getting close to the customer, all right? Okay. And I agree entirely, but, but industrial-age companies, when they say getting close to the customer, what that means is they get inside the customer's mind so you can sell them more stuff. It's basically, it's, it's not empathetic at all. It's actually parasitic, if you will. What you're looking at is a lot of organizations don't view their customers in, in they, they view their customers as pre-revenue units. 
So where we're going in the future, I think, is, is like basically if, if you truly do empathize with your customer, not just understand them, but actually migrate your customer to a higher plane of existence. And I know that sounds weird, but if you, if you go to Michael Schrage's work, and that's Schrage, S-C-H-R-A-G-E, and he is a fellow at MIT, which is sort of like what we started this, uh, this whole talk about, he's written mm-hmm. a very interesting book, which is entitled, Who Do You Want Your Customers to Become? And what you're doing is you are actually helping your customers migrate to where they're going. And in that, there will be revenue and profits for you. And I think that type of selflessness, that type of understanding of what the customer really needs and really wants versus the what's good for my bottom line Mm -hmm. is actually where we're going as we do this technology transformation. Hey, this is Frank. I just wanted to jump in. I yes. think that was a great, great point. I completely agree. And if you think about the, the shift of power to the individual, if you think of some of the disruptive scenarios coming, like the maker movement and 3D printing fueled maker movements, this no- notion of mass customization and you needing to understand uh, where things are going rapidly because new needs emerge rap- very quickly, much quicker than they ever did, and they're coming from, from the customers themselves, right? Think about uh, us as prosumers being able to actually create and design things and then print them ourselves. I mean, the models are going to shift dramatically, and all these things are just evidence, I think, of what we've been talking about, and, and that is this paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And, and this is Go ahead. Yes, please. 100%, 100% agree. Um, with, I mean, what's wonderful about for the new social world for me is that if you have a great product, people will tell their friends. If you have a lousy product, they'll tell um, everybody. You can't get away with bad products, and that's great for all of us. Uh, Companies today have to spend a lot less time and resources telling everybody how great they are and spend a lot more time working with their customers to provide a great product or service. Thank you. Timo, I'm looking at your notes, and I found another bon mot here, speaking a little bit of French. Um, I think this would be a good place for us to go because we're going to take a break in about ooh, about nine minutes, eight minutes. So let's see if we can dig into this area. You say what's really new is that the acceleration of technology change is threatening to destabilize the normal innovation cycle itself. And then you tell a story, uh, Ray Kurzweil's phrase, there's increasing evidence that we're now in the second half of the chessboard, and you offer a little story about a Persian legend with a king. Can you tell us a little bit about the inventor of chess, Timo? I think it would be a good parable for us. Absolutely. So the uh, inventor of chess was Persian, and the king was uh, supposedly so pleased with this invention that he offered the inventor to choose his reward, the inventor asked for a single grain of rice on the first square of the chessboard, two on the second, four on the third, eight on the fourth, and doubling for each square. Um, If you think about it, it doesn't sound like that much rice, and the king thought he was getting a bargain and so agreed. But because of the wonders of exponential growth, the actual amount of rice you'd need for that last square would be about 1,000 times the annual global production of rice in the world today, or, or a pile larger than Mount Everest. And what does that story mean? It, it means that we're really bad about thinking about exponential change. We're just not wired that way. In our terms, it means that we see more real technology change, more opportunity in a single year than we used to an entire decade before. And we're just not used to being able to cope with that rate of change. And so we need new ways of uh, accelerating our ability to deal with change. It's already something we struggle with, 
we're now really pushing the limits of how much people and organizations can adapt to the speed of what's actually uh, happening. Thank you, Timo. Great story. Frank Diana, talk to me about the second half of the chessboard. Agree with what Timo has put out for us? Yeah, I love that story. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, Kurzweil really refers to it as the law of accelerating returns uh, and, and can point to the, you know, the past and how we've accelerated over the course of history. Uh, and we are, as humans and as institutions, used to thinking linearly. And we live in a world that is very much exponential. And that, that gap between our ability to think uh, linearly and exponentially goes back to something that uh, Timo said in terms of creativity and imagination. If we don't leverage creativity and imagination, just to imagine what it's like to be exponential, we're trapped because we can't survive in a world when we think linearly. So, hi, this is Thornton. I have a question. So we have two gentlemen who are from two of the finest organizations in the world, you know, uh, TCS and SAP. And my question is, can we, can we teach people, and even executives, can we teach CEOs to think exponentially? I think you, we've put, you gentlemen, put your fingers on the problem. Is that there's this, the, world is the world is exponential. Our minds are not yet. How do we change how we think to get there? I mean, are there exercises? Are there classes? Is there, is there an app for that? Yeah. Hmm. This, is, this is Timo. I think for me it's about um, examples of leaders who are doing this already. And, and these are starting to merge. So just the person who jumps to mind is Elon Musk of Tesla who very explicitly has been using exponential thinking, has just been looking at the trends and saying, okay, I know that this is prob- almost certainly going to happen in the next four or five years, so I'm going to you know, skate to where the puck will be, to use the phrase, and create my business now, knowing that it's going to take me three, four years to establish it, and it's going to arrive just as the technology enables it. Google is doing a lot of that with their investments, especially around robotics. Um, they bought a company called uh, Boston Dynamics. You might have seen the videos that went viral last year or year before of robot dogs racing around. If you haven't seen them, please check them out. But um, they just came out with a new, uh, a new robot called Spot, and it is, it is frighteningly lifelike. You watch the video, and somebody pushes the robot, and it skitters on its legs exactly like a real dog would be. And, um, you know, so they, they're creating, they're trying to figure out the business model that will work with the technology as it arrives. And I think that's one way that we can help businesses adapt is, is to say, look at these people and, you know, think about it in the context of your business. And this is Frank, just if I could add, mm-hmm. uh, first yep. and foremost, it, it, we're challenged to overcome the limitations of being humans. And I think we need to support ourselves with the technologies of our day to get to the point where we can be more exponential in our thinking. But I, I would tell you that I believe the key skills for future leaders are the ability to think about scenarios rapidly, experiment and respond, uh, think in the context of ecosystems, think exponentially, uh, see around corners, vision, iterative strategies, foresight, rapid experimentation, all critical skill sets for the future, but a challenge. It is a challenge. And I want to go to uh, just some basic definitions here. Thornton May, I'm looking at your notes and very apropos to our conversation. You say leadership and management are not synonyms. We're talking about the ability to change and be ahead of where the puck is going next. What is the difference in your book between, in your book using that proverbially, leadership and management? Who is now and who is going somewhere? What do you think? 
Well, exactly. Well, I, I, well they are, they're fundamentally different words, and yet, unfortunately, they tip in, in the in the canon, if you will, in the business school canon, they're frequently conflated, i.e., they, they're, they're viewed as synonyms, and they're not. Leadership is figuring out where to go. Management is figuring out how to get there. They are very, they are both very important exercises, right? But right now, in this moment of, change, of perpetual change, leadership, figuring out the there, where there is, is critically important. And unfortunately, I, I'm not certain that people are really thinking about, well, there's a new there or there's an exponential there. I think that we're, we're trapped in an annual budget cycle, serve the current customer type of, like, this quicksand that we can't get out of. Thornton, any thoughts on? I'm sorry, yeah, Frank, Diana, or Timo, any thoughts on that? I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'd agree. I, I'd agree with a certain amount of. There's a. There's still a lot of conservatism in business. I mean, the way we do our budgeting and finance, it's all about well, what's the return on investment on this project, uh, and it's very hard to fit that in with an expect, exponential type of thinking where. You don't know what's going to happen. So the investment you're making is you're investing, you're making a big bet on the ability to change. So you're investing in technology that will allow you to adapt fast in the future. But using traditional accounting, it's really hard to work out their ROI on that. Right. And yet, and yet, if you look at this is Thornton again, if you look at mm-hmm. the, at the workings of the capital markets, the companies that are trading at the highest stock price multiples are the ones that have the most compelling pictures of the future that may actually be the most abstract, which is to say, you know, they don't have necessarily the revenues, the hard revenues, but they have the potential for for future revenues. Thank you, Thornton. Timo, I want to bring up one more quickie here before we go to break, and we may, in fact, skip the break if this uh, sparks a lot of conversation. Your second out of your list of four of the easiest and most uh, immediate opportunities for this, what's next, the change? Uh, You said empowering and inspiring employees. I think from our conversation, Timo, I'm getting the feeling that first the leaders and the managers need to empower and inspire themselves. Am I right? It has to start at the top? I think it's about creating a new community of responsibility for change. It's just one of the big themes uh, that's coming through working, especially in technology organizations, is this realization that the old top-down or centralized model where, you know, IT organizations or central uh, office would decide things and everybody else would go and figure out how to execute it. It's always been a dubious proposition, but it's, it's... Absolutely not true now. Again, all of that experimentation is going on at the edges. People are are trying things out, um, what works, what doesn't work. And so the entire organization has to be a lot more transversal. And for IT in particular, this has been a real problem because it's just not part of the mentality. So we've been going from more of a uh, sort of IT centralized competency centers type of approach mm-hmm. to uh, to competency communities where where people have to bring in best practice across the board, and that requires new ways of thinking, um, both at the front uh, office and also at the back office. Thank you, Timo. Thornton, any thoughts on that, or Frank, Diana? Well, I have a question. I, I love what, uh, Timo. What does transversal mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
No, you said organizations have to become more transversal. And I, and that's right. I, I love learning new words. I mean, so what, what, what do you actually mean by that? Uh, that's a great question. I think it means people being liberated to take more chances right. at the edges, knowing that they're going to be backed up in the event of success or failure. Traditionally, we see a lot of exper experimentation at the edges, but it's underfunded and there's no real mechanism for stopping bad experiments quickly enough or accelerating successful uh, projects fast enough. So I think, again, this goes back to the, the core competency of organizations has to be this ability to change rather than anything to do with the actual business today. It has to be a machine is optimized on figuring out the next business model. Hey, this is Frank. If I can jump in. Um, yes. I think this just keeps pointing to the, the need for structural change. What Timo referred to in terms of command and control structures are very vertical in nature, and we live in a network world that's very lateral or horizontal in nature. And our vertical orientation comes from the Industrial Revolution. That's where all this stuff was born. So if we don't make shifts like a vertical orientation to a horizontal or lateral orientation, uh, enable the edge in a very rapid manner as opposed to the command and control structures that require us to go up the chain and down the chain to make decisions, we'll never succeed because the world is going to grow more and more networked over time. Thank you. And you know what's going to grow more networked over time? The fact that we have seven minutes left till the end of this conversation. So I am not going to be able to take a break. And that's the way we like these roundtables when there's so much activity going on. Timo knows that, where we don't have to take a break because I just can't bear to stop the energy here. So I'm going to circle all the way back to the front of the line to Frank Diana at TCS. Frank, I'm going to ask you to look, at, to the, look into the crystal ball. I know you got it out before the show. And I'd like you to tell me if you can fast forward this conversation to the year 2020 or where you see blue sky or not so blue sky, what will be different in the future if we were to meet again and have the same conversation on the next paradigm shift and your digital DNA? So why don't you take, uh, let's see, take about two minutes for your predictions. Frank, Diana, go. <laughs> okay, I'm going to focus on 2025 because I think in 10 years' time, we'll see a very different world. And I, so a couple things. One, a number of disruptive scenarios will have pushed the boundaries of our current institutions, like government and education and healthcare, et cetera, and it's going to force an early wave of structural change. So over the next decade, I envision some of our institutions changing considerably, driven by these scenarios. I think um, traditional companies in the next 10 years will struggle to keep pace with change, and the law of accelerating returns will hit overdrive, and they're going to struggle. So I really believe that traditional companies in the next 10 years will suffer and struggle with viability. Uh, scenarios like driverless cars, advanced automation, uh, artificial intelligence, smart homes, all of these things will have made great strides between now and 2025. And, and with those strides will come a, a pressure on regu regulatory bodies, policies, procedures, all the things that we know uh, that exist today. Uh, I believe some major brands will have disappeared between now and 2025 mm. because of these things. And I've, I will predict that many emerging market companies will uh, take root in the Fortune 500. Uh, you'll see that the middle class in the emerging markets and technology will leapfrog some of the things that had to be done in developed economies, uh, and they will actually be some of the bigger companies in the Fortune 500 in the next 10 years. Thank you very much. 2025, we have on the table. Thornton May, you're a futurist. How far into the future can you predict? I'm going to give you a full two minutes. Take it. Go ahead. All right. Well, a couple, a couple of things going on. Is like, I, I, I think that 
basically actually it, it, there, there, there are many futures, so you can go way, way out. Like 20, uh, 2030, we're going to be in the singularity. But let's, uh, let's, let's actually look at 2018. By 2018, there's going to be this thing called value transparency. And what that is is people are going to really recognize what they're getting, what the inputs are and what the outputs. So, so there's going to be a next-generation measurement company. It may be one of the two organizations that I'm sharing the panel with that will develop a metric that, assess, that assesses the health and value-creating capability of an organization's IT organization. Because what we're talking about is at the center of this move to the future is IT. We need to celebrate the CIO. So when that metric is in place, basically, there's going to be a CIO pogrom for poorly performing CIOs. So there's going to be a whole mm. lot of movement at the CIO space. They're not going to disappear. They're not going to become obsolete. But the ones who underperform are going to be surplused. Uh, prediction number two for basically uh, 2018 is the stock price multiple of publicly traded companies will be directly linked to the capabilities of their IT organizations. So basically, the ability to actually perform in IT is critically important. Uh, prediction number three is that IT is going to stop. That there are, as you look at where you spend information technology dollars, the, the, the uh, business school professors, uh, professors frequently use something called the three horizons model. And horizon one is 18 months out. Horizon two is 19 to 36 months out. Horizon three is 27 to 72 months out. So horizon one is basically what you're investing in now. Horizon three is sort of like, you know, science fair projects and pilots, if you will. The one in the middle, horizon two, is the one that's virtually ignored right now. And that is the one which is, this is how I create digital businesses. In the future, the role of executives, the role of enterprises, the role of all of us as citizens of the planet is to create digital enterprises. So that's where we're going to be focusing. Thank you very much. And I saved, ooh, let's see, I saved two full minutes for Timo Elliott. Timo, predictions, please. Thank you. I, well, I see um, three interlocking trends. One is just massive datification. So this is the ability to take the vast majority of what we do is invisible to technology today. It's not really measured. The advent of sensors or much cheaper ways of measuring what's going on are exposing all of that data to the light, and those process, processes are then going to be optimized in brand new ways. And we see this happening. I'm working with a startup company that does this for the beer being poured in pubs, for example. It's a simple mm -hmm. sensor. You put it on a beer line. It zaps up the data to a cloud-based platform, and suddenly it's available in these beautiful mobile dashboards. And it's incredibly simple to install. It just works, um, but it leads to massive new insights into what's going on, so you can do it for efficiency. But also, second point, it leads to new business models, this ability to create new ways of selling beer. Uh, we're seeing the same thing in agriculture. I just saw a great... Uh, uh, video about connected cows. They've added pedometers <laughs> to cows' legs, that, which means that you can find out when they're sick or when they need uh, treatment, and this has been a big opportunity in agriculture. So it, they can just change the way you sell things. And finally, I think the big trend, I hope this is a big trend, is that because of these new technologies, ultimately we can do things far simpler than we ever could before. Instead of these sort of massive, complicated, fragile information system infrastructures that we've uh, struggled with up until now, 
there's an opportunity to really bypass a lot of that or optimize it and, and radically simplify the entire thing so that we can change faster. Again, we have to be more agile. That's absolutely what the future is about. Thank you. Timo, I think I interviewed the founder of that beer company. Can you mention the name? Because I know who it is. It was Weisberger. Yes, Weisberger. He was on our show about two years ago. We had a series called Startup Focus with Game Changers, and he was one of my panelists. Fascinating story. See, my memory is still there. Thank you for great, great predictions to my three panelists, and thank you to them for sharing your thoughts, your expertise, your passion for this topic. Frank, Diana at TCS, thank you. Thornton May, futurist extraordinaire, thank you. And Timo Elliott, SAP, thank you. A shout-out to Brad Borkin, the sponsor of this part of the Digital World Series. We have to do a shout-out to some named Dean Pappas, and he that's how he tweets, D-E-A-N-P-A-P-P-A-S. I think he just put out about 3,500 tweets during this show, capturing a lot of words of wisdom from my panelists and a lot of interesting comments. So the three panelists, why don't you go visit hashtag SAP Radio and see what Dean has said, and you can respond. And thank you also to Brad and the Business Channel team. I have big breaking news. We're going to, in one hour from right now, I'll be back on the Business Channel debuting our newest series, Game Changing Women Radio. We'll be talking about for or against or for and against leaning in, talking about Sheryl Sandberg's book of that name. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, right now, this very minute. Be back in an hour with Game Changing Women. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.